Well, hello, everybody. This is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine. Welcome to Rattlecast number 75. Thanks so much for joining me. Today's guest is Alexis Rotella, and she's on the line. We'll be joining her in just a moment. But before we begin, I should say that Rattle is a publication of the Rattle Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit working to promote the practice of poetry. Everything we do is because we love poetry, and I know you love poetry as much as we do, which is why you're listening now. So please do click the like button and share. Make sure you're subscribed and following. No matter where you're watching or listening to this, you can find a way to uh, click and tell the uh, masters what, uh, <laughs> that you enjoy poetry. So before I begin uh, with Alexis, I thought we would do our warm-up poem. And um, I hit the random button again, which I like to do. And I came up with this poem, which I love, uh, Alan Shapiro's People Get Ready. This is from um, rattle number 25 in our Best of Rattle issue, which um, for, for issue number 25, we took a look back at all the poems we liked most over the previous years. And this is one of those poems that we liked the most. This is People Get Ready by Alan Shapiro. I couldn't tell you where the Lord was traveling. Only that I knew he was by how the lightning flashed under his footfall, the way a rail does under a wheel. He was traveling on a rail of lightning made entirely of souls, and I was there among them. I was one of them, invisible, uncountable, suspended moment in an endless line. And when it was my turn to flash awake into my short existence under the pressure of his wheel, I knew my anguish was the very way he moved how he could get where he was going, though what purpose of his going was I couldn't see. I saw relentlessness, not purpose. I saw how he went, not where. And as he passed, I saw he no more thought of me than a train thinks of the sparks scattering under its iron weight, bright than dark. That was Alan Shapiro with People Get Ready from Rattle Number 25. And um, Alan Shapiro, um, his most recent book is Life Pig, and um, you can find more, of course, in Rattle number 25. And he was interviewed for Rattle in issue number uh, 23. Uh, it's a great interview. And um, so, so check that out if you would. Now, um, today's guest, like I mentioned, is Alexis Rotella. Um, her most recent book is Dancing the Tarantella. She's a finalist for this year's Rattle Poetry Prize. Um, Alexis has been writing Japanese poetry forms in English since 1979. A prolific writer... She is, author, is the author of dozens of books, is a past president of the Haiku Society of America, and was the editor of its house organ, Frog Pond. She founded several journals, including the online Prune Juice Senryu. Her work has been anthologized in scores of ven venues, including the Haiku Anthology, Haiku Mind, Talking to the Sun, Teaching with Heart. Um, her two latest books before, uh, Dancing the Tarantella, were Unsealing Our Secrets, and... Um, a short poem anthology about sexual abuse, Women and Men Speak Out, Me Too, and uh, also Scratches on the Moon, a Highbun collection. Um, she's the author of dozens of books and um, just a really interesting person. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Here she is, Alexis Rotella. Hey, Alexis, how are you doing tonight? I'm very good. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, well, it's definitely my pleasure to have you. Um, do you want to start us out with a poem? Um, shall I read uh, Empty Souls, which was in the last issue of Rattle? Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. Um, it's called Empty Souls, and it's a high bun. <clears throat> and for those who don't know what a high bun is, it's basically prose, and it's interspersed with haiku. Empty Souls. Tibetan prayer flags flap in the wind. 
no one to talk to. White Tower Air, I ask, as my husband packs a suitcase to get ready to attend his mother's funeral. Because it's a bargain, he says. Wouldn't you rather fly a major carrier? I pull a card from my tarot deck. Out of the 78 possibilities, it's the tower that shows up. Flames shoot from the top of a crumbling brick tower while a couple with shock imprinted on their faces falls through the air, crowns flying. There's no soft landing in sight. I plead with my husband to look with another, to book with another airline, but he says he'll be fine. I shouldn't put such faith in divination. As I entertain a couple of acquaintances, the phone rings. My husband's voice found, sounds far away. Dusk signals the jasmine to release its scent. I'm at Kennedy. We had to make an emergency landing. While flames shot from the engine, the pilot told us to put our heads in our laps and embrace for impact. The silence was so thick no one could make a sound. I took my wallet from my jacket, placed it in the seat pocket facing me, just in case my body couldn't be identified. And then I saw a newspaper headline which seemed so vivid and real. Son dies in plane crash after attending mother's funeral. It was the most bizarre experience. I thought my life was over. I'd never see you again. When we got off the plane, some people actually kissed the ground. Everyone is shaking, including the pilot's wife. It was her husband's last flight before retirement. While my guests stuffed themselves on tacos and guacamole, I tried to regain composure. Don't sweat the small stuff, they tell me. Get over it, move on, come eat. I want to throw them both out, but instead I bite my tongue until it aches. I count the minutes until they're out of my space. The cat brings home a screech owl. I sense disappointment in my brother-in-law's voice. Had there been a fatal accident, he'd inherit all of the mother's estate. I so need to vent, but my next door neighbor who caught a blip of it on the news is nonchalant. During break in Qigong class, my husband tries to tell a classmate about the incident, but the instructor glares at him as if to say, keep your sad stories to yourself. The taste of loneliness, evening meal. Thanks so much. That was Empty Souls, which of course appears in rattle number 70, this, uh, this current winter's issue, and all subscribers can vote for that as one of the 10 finalists for the Reader's Choice Award. Uh, so, so feel free to do that if you'd like. Um, just a wonderful poem, and that's um, um, a hyben, which maybe um, for people who don't know the diff various forms, um, can you, can you talk, talk a little bit about, about a hyben, which is a form that you work in very often. Um, what is it about a hyben, and yes, what's the I've goal been... of it? Okay, a hyben is like, somebody said it's like a puzzle. They're not easy to write. They're very difficult because the prose that you're writing um, if you, enter, if you cap it with a haiku or a senryu, it, ha it should have really nothing to do with the, um, the prose except for a very subtle allusion. And also the um, title of the poem should not give anything away that's in the prose. So you're juggling with three different things at the same time. 
And in this particular poem, I interspersed haiku throughout, but a lot of times, especially in a shorter high bun, uh, a lot of people will cap a haiku at the end. Um, and and what, uh, what drew you to um, writing in Japanese forms? I think um, most people um, that you talk to on the Rattlecast, they'll, um, you know, start writing poetry at a young age and then go to college for that. But you were a Buddhism um, major as an undergraduate. And, um, and, and is that what led you into Japanese forms? Um, I was in at Drew University. I, I, um, I went to, to college late in life when I was in my late 20s. And the uh, college that I went to was an old Methodist college. It was very traditional. Um, I was a philosophy major, and I got really tired of John Locke and all those other guys. Uh, Western philosophy. I found it extremely boring. So I asked the head of the department if I could do my undergraduate thesis in Zen Buddhism, and he said, sure, go ahead. Um, and once a week, I would report to my mentor, and he'd pat me on the back and say, oh, this is really great. I'm really learning a lot from you. <laughs> and um, when I went for my final um, a meeting with them, um, they were not happy at all. They were very threatened, especially when I said, um, you know, the monks burn all their books because they understand that you cannot learn what it's all, what Zen is all about in books. And their response was, well, uh, Zen masters, they must be, they must have deluded minds, you know, they're out of their minds. Anyway, they went all along uh, for that one hour and just berated me for doing this thesis. The next day I went back to school and there was an A plus on my paper. Oh, wow. Um, and what I learned from that experience was know your audience, <laughs> you yeah. know, and, and that, that lesson has stayed with me for the, for my entire life. What is it that, that drew so, you to Buddhism? Um, is there? Well, when I was working on the uh, thesis, um, I came across haiku. Uh, Zen, Zen poetry and haiku. And uh, one day my husband and I were at the cloisters in New York and I found uh, two haiku books that rhymed and I even forget the name of the guy who wrote them, but they were illustrated and very beautiful. And I fell absolutely in love with haiku and so did my husband. And all I could do from then on was read haiku. My husband would come home from work, I'd read him haiku. I was just totally smitten by it. And then I started to... Um, write it myself, and it took six months before I got an exception, uh, you know, acceptance. And that was from Randy Books, of, of, uh, who had the journal Haiku, H-I-G-H-C-O-O. And the haiku was husband home for dinner, haiku, husband home from, husband home for dinner, hi, no, husband home from work, haiku for dinner again. <laughs> yeah. That's really that's really a senra, not a haiku. But that was my first acceptance, and from there, um, it was just I was just smitten, um, and still am. So, so, what is it about haiku that that draws you so much to it? Um, uh, you know, because it's not it's it's such a weird sort of community. I, I've always found it so strange. We we had the um, Japanese forms issue issue number forty seven of Rattle, and um, and and. I don't know, everybody, there's sort of this haiku community where people just love haiku, but it's like separated from regular poetry in a lot of ways. In a strange way, I've never really understood 
Um, why do you think it is separated out? And, and then why, why were you drawn to that versus other forms of poetry? Like, what is it specifically about the haiku that makes it have that spark for you, that, that makes you pursue it for your whole life? Um, well, when I started out, it was in the late 70s, and um, there was a haiku community um, going very strongly in New York City. And we had um, a great group of people, very, it was a small community and we were very close to each other. And those were the days before email and we would talk on the phone and share our work with each other through letters. You know, you used to get a lot of letters in those days that the postman would deliver, would send each other gifts. And um, that community was just tro totally astounding. And we would get together like um, once in New York City at Japan mm -hmm. House. Um, and uh, it's just, I think it was the camaraderie with the people that really uh, got to me. I love poetry, I love the haiku, but um, one of the things was that we weren't being recognized in any, in any journals. I um, did an art, two articles for East West Journal. Um, Mark Mayall was the editor way back when, and he published two articles on haiku and senru, which started to get it out into the mainstream. Um, and now, you know, everybody's writing haiku, if you want to call it that. But, um, you know, we're really appreciative that you are open to uh, Japanese, um, you know, poetry forms in English. Um, not many journals are. Yeah, that's the thing that I just, you know, mainstream I, I remember, journals. Um, I mean, not to call anybody out, but they're big enough that we can say it. But, but Poetry Magazine, um, last year, maybe two years ago, published a haiku for the first time, I think it was. I was talking to um, Debbie Kalaji about mm -hmm. it on Facebook and they weren't even haiku. <laughs> so, um, but yeah. why, why do you think, why do you think it's sort of pushed off to the side like that? It doesn't make, to me, a haiku is sort of the essence of poetry. It's sort of like poetry distilled mm -hmm. to the finest, like most discrete unit of what a poem is or something like that. So I have no idea why it would be put off to the side and not taken seriously. Um, by by the sort of mainstream, if you can call if you can call literary magazines mainstream, um, it's not it's put aside by them. Why do you think that is? I think a lot of people think haiku are easy to write, mm. <clears throat> and it's just the opposite. They're not easy to write. They're they're difficult, and you can spend months and years just trying to get one haiku to read, you know, perfectly. Um, it's a capsule of energy that just captures the moment so beautifully. And when you write haiku, it's like you can have a like an album of your life. No matter what's going on in your life, you can have a, a snapshot of that moment. If, if you're going into surgery, you could write a haiku. I mean, the death of a parent, <clears throat> just anything that happens <clears throat> is like a snapshot and you could keep it forever. And you're sharing it with somebody else, <clears throat> excuse me, but it's also their experience. Well, um, well, let's hear another poem or two. Um, I think the next poem, the next two poems you have, I think, are not not um, in Japanese forms at all. I think. Um, no. So. Well, this one I wrote yesterday. Is it the? It's called the Good Neighbors. Hot off the it's press. It's a longer poem. Yeah. Okay. Let, let's hear it. I'll, I'll put it for. Yeah. How to get it? How to get it out of my system? The good neighbor, whose yard is overgrown with weeds, stands at my front door with a white orchid. He tells me he's wearing a mask only because I believe in them. 
His locker up sweatshirt is gravy stained and despite the orchid in his hand, I wonder if what he's really thinking is lock me up and lock up my garden Buddha and throw in the goddess with a thousand arms too. Behind his big boom of a voice, slightly muffled by stars and stripes, is a suffering the deepest part of me may never understand. Yeah, thanks so much for sharing that. A brand new poem that was uh, The Good Neighbor, hot off of the imagination of Alexis Rotella. Um, I, and I love the ending of that, too, that where you, you take it, instead of taking it to a place of sort of, you know, frustration at the neighbor, um, you know, finding the, the empathy there and, and what's underneath, uh, which, is, which is what poetry does, I think. Um, do you want to read the next poem, too, Purple? Yes. Okay, this is the first poem I ever wrote, um, and that was like the start of my poetry career. And, and when, how, um, how old were you when you wrote that? I wrote this when I was uh, around uh, 26 years mm -hmm. old. Uh, purple. In first grade, Mrs. Laura said my purple teepee wasn't realistic, realistic enough, that purple was no color for a tent, that purple is reserved for people who are dead that my drawing wasn't good enough to hang with the others. I walked back to my seat, counting the swish, swish, swishes of my baggy corduroy trousers with a black crayon, nightfall came to my purple tent in the middle of an afternoon. In second grade, Mr. Bardis said, draw anything, he didn't care what. I left my paper blank, and when he came around to my desk, my heart was beating like a tom-tom. Then he touched the top of my head with hand and in a soft voice said the snowfall how clean and white and beautiful yeah i love that too and that was the very first poem you ever wrote um you see after that experience i grew up thinking that i wasn't creative hmm. that other people were creative that i wasn't and um so in my mid-20s i sat down and the poem wrote itself and um, I sent it to East West Journal, and it was published immediately. And after that, it started going around the world like a chain letter. It was published in um, Chicken Soup for the Soul. Oh, wow. Bernie Siegel published it in his book, um, Mud Magic and Mud Pies. It um, appeared in Teaching with Heart. And it's in many, many um, architectural textbooks and teachers' books. And I'm always getting requests um, uh, to have people let me use this poem for teaching purposes. Did and so did, did the ending? Uh, the ending, um, you know, where the teacher says that. Did that surprise you, or or did you sort of write toward that ending? I'm always wondering how poems are made, especially first poems. The first time a poem sort of lights up for someone. Um, did you know where it was going? Do you remember, or um, did it surprise you? That's what he said. Yeah, that's what he told mm. me, and. Uh, I was very relieved because I thought I was going to get bowled out, you uh -huh. know. And uh, basically, Mr. Barda was my muse. Hmm. It took many, many years for that to to develop, but he was he was my muse. He was a very kind person. And um, you know, a lot of people say, "What a shame that happens to people." But you know what? It's part. This experience is part of what made me who I am. You know, it's part of my journey. So no hard feelings toward Mrs. Yeah, Lula. well, it's, it's a, a beautiful story from that teacher who, um, you know, I mean, that was the exact right thing to say. How does it, how do you know to say the exact right thing? That was wonderful. Um, Paul Ruth in the, in the chat when it says, I am a teacher and I've seen this poem before. 
So definitely we can confirm that it's been all around the world for sure. If anyone has any questions for Alexis, I'm just leave them in the chat window and I will pass them along either on YouTube or Facebook. Um, the, the thing that I'm, I'm, one thing I'm always interested in is um, the way, you know, because you, you studied Zen Buddhism um, and the way poems are sort of like koans in that, you know, if, if a koan is sort of a word, um, a word puzzle or something that is a tool for expanding your consciousness, kind of. And, and poetry kind of does the same thing, it seems to me, which is when you read a poem, you've become like a, a bigger person in your consciousness or something. You, you learn how to see the world through different eyes or in a different way or something, and that's what a poem does. Do you, do you think, find a relationship between those two? Or do you think, or is it more of a coincidence that you just happen to um, be a poet and also study Buddhism? Um, as an acupuncturist, uh, everything for me is about manipulating energy of, of flow, finding flow. And so when you're writing a poem, basically what you do is you come up against a lot of stagnation. Let me get this yeah. thing out of the way. Um, so stagnation um, is like an obstacle and you can't get through it and you have to work on it and work on it to make, to make flow. It's the same thing when I'm working with a patient. Um, they come to me because there's a lack of flow in their body, mind, spirit. And it's the same thing with writing a poem. There's, there are these obstacles that you encounter, this stagnation. And sometimes it may take months or even years to write a poem to get the flow going. Um, and, and you also um, um, have a, a PhD, I think, in... in, um, in um... Clinical, Clinical hypnotherapy. hypnotherapy, yeah, yeah. Can you talk? Can you explain yes. a little bit about what that what that is? Hypnotherapy is such an interesting thing. Um, you know, it's one of those things where um, I don't know the the mainstream sort of doesn't take it seriously, maybe still. But then there's serious effects, you know, and, and it has a real, you know, it, it works, and, and you know, it's it really interesting. Uh, what what is hypnosis? How how um, can you just explain a little bit about what you do with with that with clinical hypnotherapy? Okay, I really, <clears throat> I don't do it anymore, but the reason I got into it was I started off in my 20s as a spiritual healer, mm -hmm. and um, I, 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 have a, I, I studied a lot of different techniques for healing, and then I wanted to get into something where I was a little more accepted in the mainstream. <clears throat> so I went to the Petri Institute in <clears throat> Manhattan, I studied there, and um, then I got a, uh, a doctorate in clinical hypnotherapy, and I studied what really interested me was Ericksonian hypnotherapy. I don't know if you know about Milton Erickson. No, I don't at all. Um, he was a hypnotherapist that, that totally worked in a different way. For example, um, say somebody's afraid of driving on a big highway. Okay, so what he would do is he would actually get the person to go into a car and drive for a mile and pull over and sit there for 10 minutes until the person got so bored, he'd say, well, I want to move on. I want to go further. So the person might drive for two more miles until finally the guy just got so fed up with all the stops that he wanted to go. So it's a, a different type of hypnosis. Hmm. Um, sometimes when you're with a patient, you actually make up a story. Um, and we don't, even, we don't even know where the story comes from, but you're talking to the person and a story appears. 
and you talk in a metaphor to them and their unconscious understands the metaphor, although rationally they may not understand it at all. Yeah, um, that's that's so fascinating to me, the way that stories sort of contain meaning beyond um, what we're consciously aware of or something. Like before we can explain a story, we understand its meaning or something. Um, which is such a, a fascinating way. I mean, just the way the mind works is, is so fascinating to me all the time. Um, so, so what... And, you know, yeah. children... Children are especially suggestible um, when they hear something, um, and we all are. So there's a lot of brainwashing that goes on in our lives <clears throat> that, um, you know, um, we need to be able to learn how to go into a different, a lower state of consciousness, like an alpha state, theta state, so that we can program our own minds so that we're not... Um, uh, hypnotized by the radio or the television or, you know, Facebook uh, conspiracy theories. And so I think what a lot is going on right now with conspiracy theories is people are told stories and they're hypnotized mm -hmm. and they're acting them they're acting them out. So it's a form of mass hypnosis, really. Yeah, that's the thing. And, I mean, I um, think hypnosis goes on sort of at every level of, of the media that we're consuming. It's, it's all over the place. And, um, and, and maybe... Poetry is a way to break out of that hypnosis in a way and, and look at the world more clearly or something. Um, Vicky Miko asks about the idea of emptiness. Um, she says, I'm fascinated by the idea of emptiness. Have you written any poems about emptiness or the Buddhist emptiness of essence? And I was wondering, does that have to do with hypnosis? Is, is hypnosis a sort of a, an emptying of consciousness or something? Like what, what is hypnosis? And, and the other thing I was wondering about hypnosis too is do we sort of hypnotize ourselves while we're reading? Is that the same process as we're taken off, you know, to another place? You know, if we're reading a novel, we enter the novel. Are we, is that the same process as being hypnotized or um, is it unrelated? So that's a lot of questions, but, but just riff on that, I guess. Okay, so um, the gal who just asked if I've written any poems about emptiness, and the one that comes to mind is a three-line, three-word poem, um, Eagle, Emptying Space. Ooh, I like that. Okay, um, and that was uh, read by a, a Zen monk, and I think it was in New England, and I didn't know about it, but a lady wrote to me and said uh, that he, he, he really liked that poem, and he said that was the essence of Buddhism. Hmm. Uh, and she didn't want to tell me any more about what he said because she didn't want my ego to expand. <laughs> So, well, that's what I was talking about before with the, um, with the koan, though. I mean, that, a haiku like that is such a koan. It is sort of the essence of poetry. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that, that sort of is the essence. It, it's that, like, meditating on those three words expands the way you think about the world, I think, doesn't it? Yeah. Another one I think um, I'll, I'll share with you was one of the first ones I ever wrote. Um, garden snake slipping out of its knot. Hmm. Garden snake slipping out of its knot. And the first real haiku um, that I ever wrote, um, <clears throat> I was lying in bed and it just came to me on wings and it went, uh, the monk sounding a butterfly out of the bell. Oh, I love that too. The monk sounding a butterfly out of the bell. And I think that was um, kind of an opening for me because after that haiku came, they just started flowing into my consciousness. They just came. Everything I saw, I turned into a haiku. I mean, the world just became a different place. Um, 
you know, just... I mean, I've written a lot of poems, a lot of haiku. I wrote... Um, my first book that was published was Eavesdropping by Hal Roth. And um, there are a lot of... Um, here's one. Flying cross country, I read Thoreau in a cloud. Mm. Flying cross country, I read Thoreau in a cloud. See, these are just wonderful. And if anybody, you know, doesn't love haiku, I don't know what you're doing here. <laughs> Frankly, watching the Rattlecast, if you don't, because that really is <laughs> that that's what poetry is. And, and haiku finds a way to turn that into sort of like a little diamond, you know, and um, and that's why mm -hmm. I just I've always loved haiku. Um, um, Alan Harvey here says um, the purple TB teacher uh, probably teaches 575. Um, haiku is more poetic than structural. Um, yay to the snow teacher. But can you talk a little bit about that? Since you were the president of the Poetry Society of America, um, can you talk a little bit about, about 575 and um, what, why, why, um, <laughs> why we don't 575 usually? Okay, first of all, there are two really good poets who write beautiful 575. They're no longer with us, but one is James Hackett. And um, he, his poem, poetry, was just gorgeous, and he wrote a lot of 575s. So I wish I'd known we would talk about this. I would have brought his uh, poems with me. But And then another guy, uh, Tom Tico, was a homeless guy in San Francisco. And basically, Tom just wrote in 575, and his work was beautiful. And one of the problems with 575 poetry is that people start padding their work. They start putting in uh, prepositions and... Um, words that just don't belong there just to get 575, which basically, in most cases, takes away from the beauty of the poem. You want it to be as concise as possible. You don't want any fog or anything clouding up the meaning of what's going on. You can't explain a haiku. It's, they're very spiritual, you know? Mm -hmm. And when you start trying to explain them, the beauty just disintegrates as far as I'm concerned. That's why I'm not an academic, and I don't write how-to books or anything like that. I just write the poetry. Yeah, well, um, in, in our conversation, I think um, episode maybe like six or so of the Rattlecast with, with, with uh, Richard Gilbert, and we talked a lot about that and how um, even in Japanese, because they, they're not counting syllable, they're counting own, and it's a Moraic language. And, and every syllable right. uh, have one, two, or three own in them. So some are longer than others. So it ends up you have, um, with 575, you end up having just far too many syllables, far too many words. It's too long for a haiku. Um, right. It's fine for Japanese haiku, but not, not for us. Mm -hmm. Not for us. Yeah, exactly. So, and, I, and I really think, like back to the, the conversation before, I think it's the 575 that makes it not be taken seriously. Um, you know, it's it's that people just cram like there's there's ads and things like that that'll that'll show a five seven you know a haiku as if like like um when NASA sent a a, um, a rover to Mars and they sent haiku along with it they're all just just happen to be five seven five um, syllable sentences that's really all they are they're not even um, haiku and I think maybe that's what gets in the way so I, I understand why the haiku community is very frustrated about about five seven five. Well, you know, I, I, you just can't teach people old dogs new tricks, you know. <laughs> so if people are really interested in haiku, you know, they will, they will eke it out, the good stuff. 
and let the 575 go. But as I, as I said before, James Hackett and Tom Tico were masters of 575. So you can't, you know, just dismiss it altogether. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, let's see. Well, do you want to hear or, or read another poem or two? Um, yeah, I wanted to read. Um, I wrote a book called Elvis in Black Leather. And um, I had a dream about Elvis, and it, it was just an amazing dream. Um, but first, I, I wrote this poem. After my father's funeral, I removed the shroud from the TV set and let Elvis in black leather break my heart. Um, and after I wrote that poem, I had a dream. And it was about my relationship with Elvis Presley. Twilight dream. Elvis wears a grape-colored sweater made of soft Chanel. Together we sit at a Formica table eating deep-fried wings. He takes out his wallet, hands me a photo when we were in grade school, the haiku I wrote for him in faded pencil on the back. Now someone else's playground, I point out the willow stood. At a fast food hut, he pulls blue wooden chairs into the shade. We order shrimp and fries and talk about vibrations. On a poster, a blackberry ice cream cone. One day he tells me, I'm going to get me a caddy that exact same shade. I introduce him to a blonde with a ponytail. She's wearing a plaid shirt and overalls. Her name is Norma Jean. Elvis starts to twitch. The hairs on his neck stand up. Norma calls her mom, says she won't be going home tonight. Elvis holds me in his arms. The pattern of his purple sweater imprints my face as I watch the dream begin to wane. Right before I open my eyes, I see Elvis and Norma Jean side by side walking down a path into the future. Or is it the past? Excellent. And that was and Norma that. Jean. Yeah. Norma Jean's Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, so that was, um, is it the opening sequence, I assume, from Elvis in Black Leather? Um, no, Elvis, I, there are other poems in Elvis in Black Leather that I haven't written, but this this poem, this dream poem, I'm very interested in dreams, okay? Mm -hmm. And this is a, a very interesting poem that I, 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 I still can't figure out what it means for me. Mm -hmm. Um, there's so many ways to interpret a dream. You can interpret a dream personally as a message coming for you. Um, you can uh, interpret a dream. For example, I studied the group called Turtle Dreamers, and every dream was interpreted on a global scale, like it was a dream for the whole world. Mm -hmm. So I still haven't figured out what this dream means for me, but all I know is I was in touch with two archetypes here, and when I read it, I feel really good inside. Hmm. Well, that, that's interesting for sure. Um, do a lot of your poems come from dreams? Is that something that happens regularly? Yes, I can read you one right now. Yeah. It's a dream yeah, poem. Sure. Called The Visitor. Serious rising, the tree frogs, the crickets. Pardon the cliche, but I'm pale as a ghost and who can blame me? A man wearing a ragged Confederate uniform walks through my clinic door. He's wounded and in agonizing pain. Before I can open my mouth, he tells me his story, 
He has been walking forever, trying to locate his comrades in arms. I've heard stories about lost soldiers wandering over battlefields near where I live and near where I live and practice my medicine. But until now, stories have just been hearsay. The only thing that has prepared me for this visitation is the voice of a teacher who once said, when a patient comes to you, forget about yourself, no matter how bad your own headache. Grazing in low-hanging mist, draft horses. With my palms, I cradle the back of the man's neck, attempt to take some pressure off his spine. It takes less than a minute for his muscles to relax. You're dead, I tell the soldier gently. I am? Yes, you must be so tired. The soldier, with a sigh, rises from the table. And just before he fades into the ethers, he expresses his gratitude, insists on leaving me his only gold coin. Returning, it's blue to the sky, Delphinium. Yeah, I just love, especially that um, last haiku at the end there. Um, let me ask, I, I've always wondered about this, how um, haiban are composed. Like, do you start with the prose? Do you, um, and, then, and then add haiku? Um, do you do it all at once? Do you... Um, in, in the haiku, do you feel like they stand alone as well? Like that, that stands alone on its own too, returning its blue to the sky, delphinium. Um, how do you conceive of a, of a haiban and, um, and how do you go about writing one? Well, this one came from a dream. Mm -hmm. So I just wrote down the dream <clears throat> and then I went back and I, I tried to find haiku that would kind of, bring the high bun to life. Were, were they and haiku when I were they haiku that you'd already written or did you write them in the process? No, they yeah. weren't. No, they mm -hmm. weren't. Mm -mm. No. So when I wrote grazing and low hanging mist draft horses, it's like you're in this dream and this Confederate soldier walks in. He's really a ghost. Um, I wanted to ground that scene uh, so that you could go outside and see th normal things happening like draft horses and, and hanging low-hanging mist. Um, and then returning its blue to the sky, Delphinium, um, it's like the blue of his coat hmm. also. And I'm also thinking, if I'm looking at this dream on a global in a global way, it ha does this dream have significance for us today? You know, the Civil War is over. Um, is, is this, does this have anything to do with what is happening with us now? Yeah, well, it definitely does. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I really enjoy writing that one. Um, the, the, the last um, poem, um, from, from Elvis in Black Leather is, is Tonka. And can you maybe just, cause, um, can yes. you explain the difference between Tonka and haiku and, and how those, how that functions differently? Sure. Um, Tonka are five line poems. Traditionally, they were um, 31 syllables, five, seven, five, seven, seven. Um, and they were most, they were, they're like 1300 years old and they're mostly court poetry about longing and love for the most part. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, you can only write so many poems about longing and love. And I don't go for this, these long um, formula haiku. I, I like to just, I like skinny haiku. Um, 
I don't have any set uh, formula for writing them. Here's one. Ancient tree laden with rotting pears. Our grandmother who birthed a dozen children, six who didn't live. What were their names, the children who died of the flu, who never became uncles and aunts? So they're five, they're written in five, seven, they're, they're written in um, five lines. And if they're humorous poems, or they're about, um, they're called Kayoka if they're humorous poems. Ah, so that's, uh, here's yeah, one. So it's the Senru sort of version of a, you know. Yeah, right. Yeah. So the night I moved through a fever of 104, I swam from Boston to Europe. Okay, that would be a Kayoka. And here's another one. Uh, from pinstripes to orange jumpsuit, the palm trees sway in the gentle Florida breeze. So Kayoka are um, really, uh, it's a really good form when you want to write a political haiku. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> um, over on uh, the, the YouTube chat, um, Joshua Williams asks, um, he says, hi, Alexis. Where is ELH, I think he means English language haiku, heading? I often feel like I must give a lecture about the form before reading. Do you believe juxtaposition is the most essential element for all poetry? Um, no, I don't. Um, a lot of the um, haiku that I write don't have any juxtaposition. They're almost like a statement, and I've been criticized for that many times. Um, most people do have juxtaposition in their haiku. Sometimes I do, but not all the time. I, I don't think you should be sucked into any particular formula when you're writing haiku. I think you need to read the old masters, all of R.H. Blythe's books, and really live with them for years. Um, another really good poet to read is Bob Boldman, and Red Moon Press published a collection of his work. And... Um, one of them is, I'm trying to think, it's a Zen poem. Walking with the river, the water does my thinking. Hmm. Walking with the river, the water does my thinking. Um, the priest's shadow caught on a nail. Mary's granite face wearing the wind away. I think he's referring to the Virgin Mary statue there. But he's, he was um, an exceptional Zen poet, haiku poet, uh, whose uh, haiku career was short-lived. He kind of like burned out. But um, get his book from Red Moon Press, and I think you'll really enjoy it. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely check that out. Um, yeah. you, you've published you know, so many books. I think you've published 40 or something like that. Um, how do you, what is your writing process like that allows you to be that prolific? Do you write every day? Um, do you have a sort of a schedule that you, do you do it intentionally or, or do you just have a notebook with you and write throughout the day? How, how does that, how do you, how do you write? Um, I'm constantly writing. Um, I don't sit down to write. I can't write that way, but my whole, every day I write and I've been very prolific since I was, you know, since I wrote the purple poem and, you know, this explosion of haiku started flowing into me. So it's, it's still there. It just, I have no formula for writing haiku. They just come. I write every day. I write many, many every day. Not
all of them are any good. Um, but right now I'm focused on prose and uh, high bun because it's harder. And uh, I love that interspersing of uh, forms. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of really good writers out there writing in, in high bun now, too. Yeah, it's a great form. We've published, a, you know, probably more high bun than haiku um, itself. Um, the other thing I was interested in, I think um, the press... Um, um, where you published um, Dancing the Tarantella. That's your own press, right? Um, Jade Mountain Press? Yes. Mm -hmm. um, so so how, um, like, what is the, the the publishing sort of landscape for you? Like, like, why do you choose to do that instead of, like, finding a publisher for every book? Um, and and how, um, how, how much of a struggle is it? Like, how difficult? Because this, you know, it's a wonderfully put-together book. Um, I'll, I'll put it on screen for everybody. I don't think I've shown it yet, but this is... Um, Alexis, is this your art on the cover too? Yes. Um, yeah, so this is Dancing the um, Tarantella, um, Alexis's uh, newest book. And um, so, so why, why publish it yourself, uh, first of all? And do you sort of recommend that? Or um, I don't know, like well, how has that gone? All, I don't publish all the books myself, um, but I recently started to because... Um, I don't like a publisher messing up what I want to present. Mm -hmm. And my husband is very, very kind, and he helps me put the books together. And it's, it's not an easy process. But I have, um, my husband is a really good editor. He, he's very bright, um, very good, Eng knows English very, very well. And I also let other people read my manuscript, people that I respect, other writers. Um, and... Ever since I was writing, um, I've listened to editors and I've learned from them. Mm -hmm. And they are my best teachers and continue to, to be that way. I mean, um, if I write a high bun and I send it to uh, Contemporary High Bun Online and Ray Rasmussen, who's the editor there, one of the editors, uh, writes back and says, this doesn't sound right, can you fix this? I listen to that. And I think more, more writers should not be afraid of editors. They really should listen to uh, good critiques. And that's how you become a good writer. Yeah. I owe I owe my career to to editors. I really do, um, because like I said, I didn't have much confidence in myself in the beginning. And um, there was one editor who published Raymond Rosleep, who was a a priest and um, a Zen a Zen uh, writer, and. Um, he his his book was published by Alembic Press, and I sent some of my poems to the editor of Alembic Press, and they were kind of flimsy. And he just put me on the right track, like putting a train on the right track, and I went off hmm. in the right direction. So you know, listening to an editor is really really good. Is there is there sort of a like you too? <laughs> well, actually, I I don't really do much. Like I'm trying to with a critique of the week, but but our system is that we just have this massive volume of poems that we get, and we pick the ones that already work that I don't have to do much with. <laughs> so I rarely, you know, sometimes there's something that'll be great in the beginning. It'll be too like introductory kind of, or the end will over explain it, and we'll edit that out. But mostly, I don't do much editing. You know, a few times a word just is off or something, but for the most part what we publish doesn't need me at all. So I don't do a whole much of that with the critique of the week. I'm tr I try to help people, but that's about, about all I do. Mm -hmm. um, what is there a certain sort of piece of advice that you thought was the best advice you ever got either from an editor or from a teacher? Um, 
Well, I think one of the, when I was an editor, I tell people, try not to, to go for uh, work that's contrived. Don't try too hard. Um, and so most of the work that I got when I was an editor, it was trying to impress or people were trying to, trying too hard. And especially when you're writing haiku, those are gifts that just come to you on wings most of the time. Um, forcing them just is not, you, you create a lot of stagnation. Mm -hmm. I think the best thing to do, the best way to write haiku is get a R.H. Blythe book on haiku, read it, put it aside, and then just go out for a walk and look at nature and see what happens. So you could learn a lot from the old masters. They never get old. Mm -hmm. um, well, let, let's hear a few more poems. We have, we have some time left. Um, and we have a bunch of poems that we can still read. Okay, here's a short one. Okay. Um, fire and brimstone. I see them from the sunroom window. So does grandma. But when I awaken next morning, even before I ask, I hear her whisper to herself, there were no men in white sheets, no men carrying big burning crosses down our little street. A splash of sunlight thrown from a pail. Yeah, I, I just love these. These are, these are so great. Do you want to do another one? Unexpected visitor. We fly Allegheny Airlines to Motown off to visit grandmother and her second husband, George, George, who she knew in her youth back in Russia. When we meet at the airport, they're all smiles. But when I'm alone with my grandma, she asks, what am I doing befriending a black girl? During lunch, George pours a small glass of whiskey, passes it around. We each take a swig, smiles all around. Grandma's homemade sausage is the best. Mother phones, tells me I brought great shame to the family. How was I to know their next door neighbors were members of the clan? What's wrong, my friend asks. Nothing, I say. In one ear and out the other, Robin's song. That was the unexpected visitor. Um, yeah. One thing I meant to ask when we were talking about publishing, um, did you find it, the, the marketing of poem, poetry books, do you find it different if you self-publish? Because, um, you know, I, I feel like there's two sort of, if you, you already talked about how important it is to have editors, which is the main thing. If you're going to publish a book yourself, um, you really need to have people that are, they're looking at it and editing and not just copy editing, but helping you with the content because you can't see your own work. But then the other thing is that you have no press behind you other than yourself to do any kind of marketing for the book and you're not on any catalog. Um, do you find, do you have any advice for that? Do you find, is there a way that you go about that or do you just not worry about it and put books out? How do you, how do you do that? Well, first of all, if I sell a book, okay, and it's on Kindle and Amazon, I make the money from the book. Okay, too many people have published my books. I've never seen a cent. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and so I have a great following of people. People buy my books all the time. I don't care how many I sell. I just want to write. Okay, so I don't need, it's, it's not, I don't have to support myself by selling my books. I want to want my books to get in the hands of the people who want to read them. I want to share my poetry with others. Um, 
and that's just how I feel about it. Yeah, I used to feel like, um, like I, I tell people when they, you know, because people email me and ask for advice all the time. And um, I used to say that if you wanted to be a professor somewhere, it was important to still have a press that was already established. Um, because then you you have those, you know, that CV kind of building up phenomenon where you can get like tenure track or whatever. But at this point, I mean, everybody's an adjunct and there's no um, there's no chance of doing that really unless you're really, really lucky or, or really just lucky, I guess. And um, so at this point, I don't know, I think if I publish any books myself, I'm going to just publish them myself and make my own press like you did. I think it's a great way to do it. Um, let me see if there's any last questions from the audience because um, I want to make sure we get this as interactive as possible. Um, Vicky Miko says, what would be your thoughts on anthropomorphism that seems to be a haiku no-no? Thank you. Anthropomorphism is a haiku no-no? I haven't, I haven't heard that before. Is that, is that a thing? Um, in general, it's, it's frowned upon, hmm. but you know, feel free to break a rule if you want to. Yeah, yeah, rules were made <laughs> to be broken. Why is it frowned upon, though? I've never heard of that before. Um, when you write haiku, you're supposed to write about what is. Your imagination is not supposed to enter mm. into this at all. It's supposed to be whatever you see in that little photo, photo, like photograph, that little capsule of energy should not have any kind of imagination going into it or comparing, you know, um, your husband to a, um, some kind of archetype. So there are a lot of different rules with haiku. It's, it's you don't put your intellect in there and you don't uh, personify. Um, but I have seen some haiku that are totally break the rules and I love them. So, you know, Ask an editor or somebody that you that you really trust what they think of what you write, because uh, I think you know you gotta step out of the box sometimes. Mm -hmm. I'd like to read you one haiku that I wrote, which I I kind of uh, wasn't sure about, but modern haiku took it. A condolence card addressed to the ocean never arrives. A condolence card addressed to the ocean vibes. Yeah, I now, that. and again, that's a, another Zen koan kind of uh, haiku there. Yeah. Yeah, it's not really a haiku, although modern haiku is publishing things like that. Um, it's, it's kind of, a, you can't really explain it, but it, I was very happy when it arrived on my desk. How many, um, you know, there's, there's modern haiku and there's frog pond. I think those are probably the two big haiku publishers right now. Is that, is that right? Or are there other ones I'm th forgetting about? There are a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me, online journals. Mm -hmm. There's failed haiku, which is basically they're looking for Senryu. Um, there's prune juice, which I started, which is an online journal that's for Senryu. Um, there's hedgerow, um, there are quite a few, actually. If you Google, you'll find them. Yeah, a lot of uh, online journals and more more coming out all the time. Yeah. So, so as far as um, ELH, as um, you know, English language haiku goes, um, how many people do you think are, are writing haiku? Because there's the, the Poetry Society for Mary, there, there are conferences and things like that. It felt like there were a lot. It, fe it feels like like a mini um, AWP conference um, at the at the Poetry Society for America. 
um, conferences that they do. And there's the Southern California Haiku Study Group, and there's a whole bunch of organizations like that. Um, how, how big would you say the community is? Um, it it seems because I, I, I wonder. There are thousands. Yeah, I wonder if it's bigger even than the regular haiku. Like my grandma was in a haiku group when um, you know when I was just starting out writing poetry for fun on the side. Um, she was always in a haiku group in her little town, and there's so many of those. And her neighbor, her and her neighbor, would pass haiku over the fence every day. That was one of the things she did, um, you know. And um, it, it feels like there might be even more haiku, you know, writers than than regular poetry writers. Do you think that's possible? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, there are thousands of them. When I was um, president of the Haiku Society. The, the uh, community was very small, mostly Americans, mostly from the East Coast, um, a few from overseas, but not very many. And then um, after I was president, Adele Kenny took over and she started um, to um, open it up to different um, areas of the United States, right? The Southwest, Northwest. Um, and then that's what started um, um, opening up the whole field. And now you have people from all over the world writing in all kinds of different, all, all different languages. Um, so it's, it's taken the world by storm. It really has. It's, it's sort of like, um, it's how people make sense of their lives, really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's such a, I don't know. I mean, I just love the haiku community. So I'm always happy to have haiku poets and, and publish haiku poets. And I, I wish more would um, submit poems as, you know, we, um, we encourage submissions. So if anybody's watching this after the fact, please keep sending haiku and, and, and haibun and haiga and, and uh, tanka and, and anything um, in, in this format, because we love it. Um, we're sort of coming up on time. We have Welcome to Belfast, and then we have selections from the dancing and the tarantella. Do you want to read um, both those to, to finish up? Sure. Um, welcome to Belfast. This is about a friend of mine, her experience, uh, Isabella. I run away from home in Italy to work as a nanny in London to escape my father, a general in the Italian Air Force who thinks I'm too wild, who beats me when I don't follow orders. I just turned 18 and don't tell anyone where I'm off to, not even my closest friends. My English is broken, but I speak well enough to get along and to care for two young school children. But as soon as I'm able to go on vacation, I hop a ferry to Dublin where I stay a few days before heading to Belfast. Just before sunup, I disembark the express train and walk toward where I think the center of Belfast might be. But it isn't long before I hear footsteps, footsteps that sound like they're getting closer. I consider turning around before I get the chance a hand covers my mouth and I'm thrown to the ground. My face hits the concrete. I say goodbye to my mother, my father, my sisters, to my short life. With deep regret, my parents may never know what happens to me. Not yet open, a buttercup in the sidewalk crack. By the grace of God, who I didn't believe in until now, I managed to stand and with blood in my mouth, look at the lanky figure with a contorted face. He's hoping I'll scream, but instead of making a scene, I disarm him by asking, with a smile no less, why are you doing this? He says he doesn't have the faintest clue, then asks where I'm headed. I tell him I want to see Belfast to take a look around. 
He insists on showing me the town, to which I instantly agree, although I do wish he'd just grab my backpack with the money, camera, and clothes and get lost. But I have no choice but to play along. Darkening the sky, a murder of crows. We walk to the bus station where my abuser surprisingly pays our fares. Side by side, we ride for what seems forever, and when I finally gather the courage to tell him I have to get off, that if he ever gets to London, we could get to know each other and maybe become friends. When he actually agrees, I scrawl a fake number on a scrap of paper. Take care, I say, hoping he won't follow. Through the grimy window, he waves, and with every bone in my body quaking, I return his wave. From a coffee shop across the street, I manage to call my father, tell him where I am, assure him I'm all right, promise to take the next flight home, knowing he'll be waiting with a whip. Dove on a high wire, it's call to prayer. Yeah, thanks so much for that. It was Welcome to Belfast. And um, just such a powerful poem. Um, you Before you read the last one, um, you, you um, edited an anthology of Me Too poems. And um, I saw you say somewhere, I'm not sure where, that it was the hardest thing you've ever done. Um, can you talk a little about, uh, about that, about why you did it and, and what the experience was like putting that anthology together? Um, I put it together because um, I wanted to write about all the experiences I had in my young life, many of which happened in the nation's capital when I worked as a secretary for the State Department. Um, and as I was writing all of my poems, I thought I would like to invite other people to share their experiences as well. And um, some of the poems are very hard to read. I mean, they're very, very hard to read. And some of them are anonymous, which I can understand. Uh, sexual abuse by grand grandparents and things like that. A few men contributed. Um, but it was it was hard to write and also hard to edit because a lot of the work needed a lot of editing, which I love to do. If people are open, I love to work with them. Uh, and that book wound up winning, winning a Touchstone Book Award. Um, so it, it was a really good thing. And I think it, it, it contributed to a lot of healing where people were able to get things out of their, their unconscious out into the print and share their experiences with other people. And, and what is that called again? What's the title so everybody can find it? Unsealing Our Secrets. I'll show you. I did the cover on this one too. There you go. That's Unsealing Our Secrets with some uh, roses on the cover. Me Too Stories and Poetry. Yeah. Yes, and it's uh, on Amazon and Kindle as well. It turned out to be a really good book. I'm really proud of it. Yeah, well, I'm sure people definitely be interested in, in checking it out. So thanks for sharing that. Do you want to finish up with um, selections from Dancing the Tarantella? Okay. Uh, these are um, all tanka except for the last one, which is a charita. This is more of a kayoka. Flying southwest, only one snack, but we each get called baby, darling, sugar plum, boo-boo. The day it rained so hard, my crying made it stop. In a candy dish, caramels are crying. One by one, I eat the soft voices so they'll be quiet. 
an editor tells me I better count my syllables or I won't get published anywhere. If there's not a doctor in the house, might there be a cat? My mother wishes she could tell my father all the places we've been, but it's hard getting through to the other world. Folding a towel as if it were the Shroud of Turin, news of mother's passing. And this last one is a Charita, dead uncle. I touch his sleeve as we pass on the trail. His eyes acknowledge mine, but the dead, they never stop to chat. And what is that last form, a Charita? I've never heard that before. What, is, what kind of poem is that? Charita, yeah. okay, um, it's been around for 22 years. It was invented by a, um, an editor, poet in England called Ailey, A-I-L-I, all small uh, letters. And uh, it means, Charita means um, a story or tale or tale in melee. She's Chinese. And it's a very elegant form and something that I think everybody should um, look up. Her website is still S-T-I-L-L. And she has a journal, online journal called Charita. And it is a very elegant form that can hold a lot of feeling. I just love it. Well, my uh, my mouse just ran out of batteries, Alexis. So um, why don't you, as I go get a new battery so I can change camera views, um, why don't you tell um, anybody if there's anything else you're working on or like what's your next project? And, I, and I'll go back and get a battery really quick. Okay. <laughs> My next project is a, a book of uh, an anthology of dreams. And... Um, it's going to be my dreams that I've had over my lifetime, written in Japanese poetry forms in English. But also, I've invited other people to send me their dreams as well. So I, the submission period is over, and I've started editing the journal, and it will be out in the spring, and I'm going to publish it, and it's going to be a beautiful, beautiful book. Excellent. Well, I'm back, and I'll have to watch the show later to see what your next project is. <laughs> but, but my mouse is working again. Okay. So, um, thanks so much for joining us, Alexa. It's been really informative, and and I just love your work. Um, so thanks so much for being a guest on the Rattlecast. I'm sure everybody did too. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye bye, everybody. Bye. Good night. Ciao. Yeah, and that was Alexis Rotella. Um, with a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, she has so much work, and you can find more of her work at, um, I think the best the best link is probably Alexis Rotella. That's A-L-E-X-I-S-R-O-T-E-L-L-A dot WordPress dot com. Is the, I think that's the thing she updates the most. But if you Google Alexis Rotella, you'll find a whole lot of stuff. And one of the things that we didn't get to talk about, but I, but I was sent recently, was um, this book of of um tonka tonka 2020 it's a little washed out you can't see tonka 2020 there but poems from today's world with this wonderful cover um alexis rotella editor with an introduction by michael mcclintock um, and that is from red moon press and really it was a wonderful read i read this earlier and also um, dancing the tarantella is alexis's newest book so check that out too dancing the tarantella and um, Alexis Rotella, uh, really wonderful stuff. I hope everybody enjoyed that as much as I did. Now I'm going to take a quick break 
to just stand up and stretch my legs because I don't want to, I, I need to do some calisthenics. <clears throat> but um, we're going to go on to the open mic in just a second. And um, the open mic, how that works, oops, <laughs> how the open mic works is, um, there we go. So email a poem if you'd like to share it to openmic at rattle.com. And any poems are, are good. So if you'd like to share any haiku or haibun, that'd be great. Or, or tanka or any Japanese forms. Or if you're, if you, um, no, Alexis didn't like her work and, and write in that form, too. We do have a um, prompt every week. And this week's prompt was, uh, put on screen real quick, but just to remind you, a circus with no audience. And uh, that is the prompt. So if you wrote a prompt poem, send it on in. And the um, once again, send it to open mic right now at rattle.com. Then you can call me up, 818-850-7727. That's 818-850-7727. Let it ring a few times. I'll call you back. If you'd like to be on video too, which is even better, send me a chat message over Skype to Rattle Poetry, all one word. That's Rattle Poetry over Skype. And again, I'll just call you back uh, in the order they were received. So feel free to join in on the open mic. Um, And I'm going to stand up for a second. Next week's guest is going to be uh, Jennifer John, who um, she has a new book out just this week object lesson. Uh, we interviewed Jennifer in um, rattle number 53. It was a tribute to adjunct poets. And um, just a, a wonderful person, one of my favorite people in poetry. She's just uh, one of those people that make you happy just being around her. And her newest book is Object Lessons with that beautiful cover. There's so much, again, to talk to with Jennifer. Um, check back in that interview, um, the work that she does um, around the world with, with uh, human trafficking um, she's been in the Middle East teaching poetry there. Um, she was interviewed for that adjunct poets issue because she was an adjunct working at four different colleges at once, I think, um, living in the Massachusetts area. So really looking forward to seeing her newest book, Object Lesson, which I haven't been able to read yet, but I'm looking forward to that. And we'll get back to the open mics in just a minute after I stand up and, and stretch my legs. Okay, I'll be back in a minute. back thanks so much for your patience um you know i I listen to podcasts all the time that are live and they always have a break and i always wondered why and now i know because really you got to stand up at least once an hour or something you know um anyway as i mentioned uh before jennifer jean is our guest next week on the rattlecast i thought i'd share a poem of jennifer's to sort of warm it up if this isn't loud enough i didn't check ahead of time and if this isn't loud enough, I'll read it myself. But this is Carry That Weight, uh, which was published in that issue number 53, fall 2016. And um, I don't think she reads the epigram. So um, the epigram here is Columbia. Let me put it on the screen first. Um, there you go. Columbia senior Emma Sulkowitz has been hauling her own dorm mattress around campus every day because the student says she says raped her is still free to attend the school without formal consequences. That's a quote from Slate is the epigram. And here is Jennifer Jean reading that poem. Hashtag carry that weight. My mom was broken by five or six guys, one dawn before I was born. So that's got to be the weight of a king. And she carries that, carried that, 
right past the Hollywood police station on Burbank around noon. I consider carrying our queen-sized around our apartment, like those students for Emma from around the globe, but I'm just a weaker upper body. I take on my daughter's futon. My mom got it for her at Ikea. It's a lightweight. And the idea is to lug it for about an hour at home, right as I go. Some kind of science, some kind of art, in order to relate. My daughter moves stuffed dogs and pigs off her quilt, helps me slide the pony-colored twin onto my spine. She makes me a tortoise. She takes pictures. Smile, smile, smile. I don't think I can bear it a minute. It's hers. My daughters, my mothers, all the grand hers. And I won't where I teach. I teach. So I'd mold hauling it to the university. But taking on a big thing like that, sweating, bending under that, you know what lives under a bed. All the weight of my frame thumps the ground in the kitchen as I dump the thing hard. My daughter rolls on it, giggles, my pen's gone, and my mom was broken by five or six guys one dawn before I was born. And that was Jennifer Jean with uh, Carry That Weight from rattle number 53. And that's next week's guest on the Rattlecast. Um, let's see. So, so RJ Tyus says, I didn't know there was going to be an open mic. Well, feel free. Uh, you have poems, I'm sure. Feel free to call up uh, just over the phone. Works fine. And share a poem. Um, once again, just to tell everybody, the number is 818-850-7727. Uh, just let it ring a few times, then hang up. Or send a uh, chat message to Rattle Poetry, all one word. And you can share poems that way. Um, and um, I, I should mention, too, if you want to just have me read a poem um, and you're here right now, feel free to um, just email a poem in and, and let me know that I can read it and, and you're not going to be able to call because that's fine, too. I'm not going to get to everybody who um, has that situation, but I'll do as many as I can and, and get to everybody who uh, is lined up to share poems and actually, you know, has audio. Um, so, once again, the uh, prompt was a circus with no audience. And here is my poem, which, um, as usual, was written half an hour before the show starts. But I think it worked out all right. You, know, you can write a 30-minute poem. And I'll let you guess who this is about. Um, but this is my circus with no audience. Here we go. The Walking Circus. The walking circus waddles more than walks under the weight of his own never-ending spectacle. Always holding up the hooper's hips, the lion's untamed mane, the sad elephant just as heavy in hologram, and the clowns, so many clowns, and their feet, fleet of tiny cars, their menacing makeup, all those massive clumsy feet, while in his mind three motorcycles whirl incessantly in a steel-meshed globe of death, the thunderous buzz of the single piston engines bouncing on the walls of his skull, all of it under a big top flopping against his brow as he crosses a Florida fairway, all alone now, looking for his lonely little ball, having lost it somewhere deep in the rough. 
So that is my poem um, for a circus with no audience. We certainly have a circus with no audience nowadays. And this is Megan's poem. This is called A Circus with No Audience. A Circus with No Audience. The trapeze creaks, the elephant bows, the dust falls like a light rain. The ringmaster gloats, the lions pace, the fire breather swallows pain. The cotton candy rots, the juggler sways, the bleachers hum with flies. The monkeys sigh, the whip cracks, the bearded lady closes her eyes. There's Megan's poem, A Circus with No Audience. Now let's see what you have for us. Um, we have lined up so far. Uh, we have Nivedita Karthik. We have Richard Westheimer, Joey Stahl, Gail Hemmen. Uh We have some, let's see, some other people. Vicky Miko sent one over email. Uh, let's call up first um, Nivedita. Let's talk to Nivedita and see how she's doing. Hey, Nivy, how you doing today? Hang on, I didn't pull you in there. There you go. Oop. Hey, Tim. Hi, how you doing today? Um, I'm doing great, thank you. How about you? I'm doing great. Let me, um, there we go. Okay, we're better. Um, so, so what do you have? You have a circus with no audience, too. Is there anything you want to say before you share it? So it's actually two poems because the first one I wrote is actually just one word. And I was like, um, that's, that's really not a poem, but it was the most apt I could think of. And I was like, okay, fine, let's just, let's just add a bit more to it as part of the second poem or a footnote to the first poem, if we'd like to call it that way. Excellent. Okay. Well, here we go. Go, go ahead whenever you're ready. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Here we go. Okay, go ahead. Thank you. A Circus with No Audience, 2020, The End. That's it? Just kidding, but actually not. Let's rewind and take a look, shall we? The ringmaster COVID came, brandishing his whip and making us jump through hoops just to stay alive. Like the ball at which the elephant plays cricket, we were tossed out into the empty beyond, unsure of a safe landing, or even of landing. Like the clowns that made us laugh till we cried, we gaped at the headlines, not knowing whether to laugh or to cry. And amid all this, we were stuck stuck in a lonely cage, barred from the outside world. We were on our own, a one-man circus. Excellent. Thanks so much. And that was uh, Nivedita Karthik with 2020. And yeah, I didn't, it didn't occur to me to think of uh, COVID as the ringmaster, but that, that really works. That's, gonna, that's a metaphor that, that, that's going to stick with me. I know. I, know. <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, what the best circus that we've seen so far in recent years is the COVID pandemic. And we were basically the clowns and the animals and the cages stuck inside. So it was like, that's the best one word poem I could think of. And it was way too short. So it was like, let's just add a footnote poem to it. And that's what the rest of it was. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for sharing that, Navy. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Always great talking yep. to you. Have a great evening. Yep. Have a good day. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was Navy to Karthik um, with a circus with no audience, 2020. And... Um, Let's see. Next up in line, we have Richard Westheimer. This is uh, the turning to 2021. I think that's what he wanted to read. Hey, Richard, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. And incidentally, your poem today. You liked it? I really did. It was, well, it's not that I haven't liked your ones in the past, but uh, <laughs> that this one just sort of captured 
Well, I'm what? glad. I'm glad. I, you know, when I um, I didn't know what the um, prompt was going to be until last week's show, but uh, as soon it kind of wrote itself in my head as soon as I heard the prompt. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it 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 stimulated a lot of both. Well, it was great. Well, thanks. I'm and, glad and you liked it. Great. The the interview was just again. Uh, it seems like each week gets better than the better than the last. That was a terrific, terrific hour. Yeah, yeah. Alexis was great, and Jennifer's gonna be great next week. I'm excited. And then we have Dana Joya. We just have great. We have a whole bunch of great stuff lined up. So I'm so glad, um, you know, to be able to do this. It's so fun. I'm glad people enjoy it enough to actually watch. I would just do it for my own so, entertainment so, so, if not. <laughs> uh, so did you see the lead on Alexis's um, website? It says interview with Tim Green of Rattle. The world's most prestigious poetry. Oh wow! Journal. Well, thank you, Alexis. No, I didn't see that. Yeah. I'll have to send uh, everybody. She, she, I'll have to send everybody there and make sure everybody sees that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, uh, so what do you have first? Is it the turning to twenty twenty one that you wanted to share? Yeah, it's it's haiku. Of course, I it just I almost feel like you know like bowing my head in in shame after listening to hers. But uh, the, this is my more recent attempt at haiku. Excellent. Well, let's hear. It. Go ahead. Uh, the turning to 2021. Winter solstice dusk weeps red into the darkening sky, harbinger of the new year. Winter solstice dawn, a brighter morning than I expected. The old year leaves its dreams behind in a pile of bodies. The winter garden feeds us roots and hearty greens, a promise of spring. This new year, the old regime holds fast to power. We hang on hope. Many gray sky days will not persist. Excellent. It was the turning to 2021, a haiku series. Do you write a lot of haiku, Richard? I do not. I attended my first haiku uh, workshop uh, the day of the um, uh, um, siege of the Capitol oh, before mm -hmm. before it. So these were these were a result. Oh, of that. interesting. Yeah, very cool. Interesting to hear it with that with that context in mind. You know. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Richard. Yeah. Always a pleasure. Yeah. Thank yep. you, Tim. Bye. 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 Okay, that was Richard Westheimer. Um, let's go to. Let's read. I think. Um, Let's, let me read um, Vicky Miko's. Um, and as you know, Vicky Miko shares a lot of haiku and haiga. So probably, I'm sure Vicky enjoyed this episode. This is a circus with no audience. And um, I think, um, yeah. Yeah, let me just read it because we, uh, we've had trouble connecting. And we still haven't. You know, Vicky, uh, seriously, we should check out, try to figure out what the problem is. Um so you can be on live too. But uh, but let me just read it this time. A Circus with No Audience by Vicky Miko. Oop. Here we go. A Circus with No Audience. Where elephants flaunt spangled flanks and acrobats step off high planks. A ring that isn't there vanished in midair. All souls play foolish pranks. A circus with no audience. Ladies and gents sit on the fence. If nothing exists... As a conscious twist, what's relative nonsense? Into the Zen, the audience with no circus. 
Love that. That was a Circus from the Audience by Vicky Miko. And then she included a photo here. Let me see what this is. This is a wonderful, look at that elephant. And um, I think the haiku is in here. Into the Zen, the audience with no circus. So we have a haiga here too to cap off some tanka, I think. Interesting, Vicky. Thanks so much for sharing this. And I love your artwork always. And look at that. That is great. I love that. Look at the cutout. I don't know if you can see the, the, the cutout woman and then she's on top of the elephant. That's great. Thanks, Vicky, for sharing that. Um, and let's call up Gal Hemin next. See what Gal sent in. I'll find Gail's poem as it's ringing. Oh, we have a revised version. Hello, good evening. Hey, Gail, how are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm doing pretty well for a Tuesday night, Tim. A fantastic interview tonight. Uh, thank you so much. Oh, thanks. I'm I'm so glad you enjoyed it. And you're some you you've done a lot of haiku and haiga too for us, and you have a haiga now here. Yes, uh, thank thank you. Um, my uh, friend Alan, who's listening tonight, kind of got me turned onto the forum. So um, I'm really excited about them. In part, in part, thank him, and that was really deep in tonight. So. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I, I hope more just more people write because I think it, it's something that enriches your life just writing haiku. And um, there's sort of a haiku. I can't remember what there's a phrase that Richard Gilbert always talks about, like the haiku spirit or something. But that's not quite right. But but there's something to it that just it's just a, such a great community. So I'm so glad uh, we could have have Alexis on. Um, but what do you have for us um, here? I'll put it Let's on. See, screen I, have a, I have a haiku. I, I just sent it over an email, Tim. I can probably pull it up, too, if, if you don't want uh... Don't have it here. Yeah, I have it here. The red balloon. Okay, awesome. Um, and let's see. Uh, I've been doing a, a walks too, and, and there's always something to catch every day. It was, uh, sometimes it feels like flypaper, but <laughs> it's you know it's your life that catches it. So, um, and Tim, I'm so sorry. It was a really full work day. Um, in in the the grant writing sphere, do you um do you happen to have it where it's on screenable, or should I kind of pull it up and read it here? Um, I could just read it for you if you want. Um, I have it on my screen, but you're not going to be able to see it, unfortunately. Yeah, or I can um let's see, I'll um I'll uh, I'll, I'll read it here real quick. Okay, I'm gonna go. Okay, off yeah, yeah, no rush. <laughs> okay, yeah, we still have audio. We lost we lost video, but that's fine. Go ahead. Yeah, whenever you can find it. Okay, thank you guys. Um, <clears throat> a little bit of uh, nervous. Um, okay, uh, red balloon spotted relaxed afternoon walk. Discovered it glows. Why don't you read it again? Red balloon a, spotted. Yeah, read it again. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, red balloon spotted relaxed afternoon walk. Discovered it glows. Oh, that's so great! And that's the thing about. Um, haiku and and the haiku community and things that, that it just makes like thinking of the world like having it in your mind that you might want to write a haiku about whatever you see on a walk or as you're driving or or whatever just makes it so you like experience you, you're more present when you when you have haiku in the back of your head i think that's what that's what i love about it so um i'm so glad you could find that on your walk that's really cool well, thank you, Tim. Thank you very much for the opportunity to share tonight in the fantastic interview. Uh, be safe and a be safe community. Yeah, yeah. Always my pleasure. Thanks. And you too, Gail. Thank you. Bye. It was Gail Hemmen with uh, this Haiga here. Um, let me see who we have next. I think um, 
Joey Stahl, I think Joey's the last person we have in line. So um, let me just say the numbers again, if anybody's waiting and sort of um, wondering if they would like to um, participate, please do. Uh, it's always fun to hear from as many people as possible. Um, and once again, once again, the uh, number is 818-850-7727. Let it ring a few times, then hang up and I will call you back or send a chat message to Rattle Poetry all one word um let me see what let's see we have joy stall to call still and um jose gonzalez has not did uh joseph nolan no okay so um jose gonzalez has a has a little poem to a circus with no audience last time he had a really cool these are like prose poems that he sends um for the show let me uh put this in a word doc really quick and then i'll read it i haven't read this yet let me see what we have here. Make it a good size so you can all see it. And um, this is Jose Gonzalez's A Circus with No Audience. Here we go. Um, no one around to see my tears fall down my face as the stubborn elephant refuses to cooperate. Does it matter anymore? We can both sit down and rest. No one is paying any mind. We try anyway. But after the fifth attempt to have him jump through the rings of fire, I call it a day. He has earned his peanuts. So have I. We both sit snacking and turn in for the night. So I love these little poems. Um, Jose has been sending these uh, for a while, and I didn't realize that he wanted me to just read them. Um, I kept waiting for him to call. So I'm just going to read them every time, Jose. And um, I, I like these. These are a lot of fun. So thanks for sharing that. That was Jose Gonzalez with his A Circus With No Audience prose poem. And uh, let's call up Joy Stahl. And this might close out the night. So uh, let's see. Let's see what Joy has for us. Um, here we go. Calling up Joy. This is Dorothy's Tonka to Kansas. And the phone's ringing now. You can't hear it. Hello. Hey, Joey. How are you doing tonight? All right. So what do you have for us? A Tonka? Yes. Uh, this is one that I wrote uh, a few years ago as an example in, to my class on how to write one. And we had just finished reading The Wizard of Oz. So I combined those two things together. Excellent. Well, go ahead whenever you're ready. I put it up for everybody. Dorothy's Tonka to Kansas. Though not colorful, you hold the people I love. I long to return, journeying despite hardships. Truly, there's no place like home. Excellent. That was Dorothy's Tonka to Kansas by Joy Stahl. Thanks so much for sharing that, Joy. It's always a pleasure hearing you. Thank you. Yep. Good night. Good night. All right. And that is our show for today. Thanks, everybody, for joining me. Just wonderful conversation with Alexis Rotella. Um, I love that. Let me make sure I'm not missing anybody. Um, let me scroll down a little in case somebody sent. Sometimes people send them like right away and I don't see it. Okay. I think we're good. We're good. So uh, that was the show for tonight. Like, oh, Carlton Johnson. See, look at that. Perfect timing. Let me read Carlton Johnson's poem for Tuesday. This is The Circus with No Audience by Carlton Johnson. I'll put it on screen too. And here you go The Circus with No Audience. Today I woke to the sound, a growl of lions carving room in my chest as I rise, the chain still clapping in the air, for I alone struggle with mounds of sawdust and sails of canvas floating through my heart light, waiting for the ringleader to crack the whip while he paces around the ring, barking to no one in particular. 
That excellent poem, The Circus with No Audience by Carlton Johnson. Thanks, Carlton, for sharing that. Um, and that, like I said, is the show for tonight. Richard Westheimer's reminding me about the prompt. I was going to remember. Actually, I have no idea whether or not I would have remembered. So thank you, Richard, for reminding me about next week's prompt. And next week's prompt is this. Uh, here we go. This is... Oh, let me take that off. There. Next week's prompt. Dictionary.com named Pandemic its word of the year for 2020. Users of the online dictionary elected Unprecedented as the People's Choice 2020 Word of the Year. Write a poem using both of these words. So once again, these are the words of the year by Dictionary.com. There's sort of an editor's version and a People's Choice Award. And so we have Pandemic and Unprecedented. So your mission, if you choose to accept it for next week, is to write a poem with both the words Pandemic and Unprecedented, the two very worthy words of the year uh, and now once again before we go let me uh, remind you that next week's guest is me jennifer jean with her newest book object lesson so a wonderful person and poet really looking to talking to her she uh was interviewed in round number 53 if you want to pre warm up and get some questions prepared for jennifer um, go back and look at that issue and that was the tribute to edge young poets um, and i'm really looking forward to that hope to see you then and have a good night. Good night.